0: Hey, it's Frank Carlson. I'm a producer at the PBS NewsHour, and this week we're bringing you a special episode from a podcast I reported last year called Broken Justice. It's about the crisis of public defense in America, the system that provides lawyers for people who can't afford them, and how that system is so overwhelmed it's failing many of its clients. In the podcast, we focused on Missouri's state public defender system, one of the lowest funded in the country, and we focused on one man, Ricky Kidd, who spent 23 years behind bars for a double homicide he didn't commit. Last August, Ricky was exonerated and released from prison. And since then, a lot has happened in his own life and, of course, in the world around him. So for this special episode, I caught up with Ricky to see how he's been adjusting and how his work aligns with conversations around criminal justice happening across the country right now. If you enjoy this conversation, go subscribe to Broken Justice and listen to the rest of the series. Major funding for this podcast has been provided by the Candida Fund and the Pulitzer Center. Hey, it's Frank Carlson, reporter behind Broken Justice. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know a lot about Ricky Kidd, how he was convicted of a double homicide, spent more than two decades in prison trying to prove his innocence, and then finally last year... He was
1: exonerated. What's it like being a free man on uh, Channel 41? It's, it's great, it's a wonderful feeling today. I've dreamed for this day over the past 23 years, and it's finally here. And uh, it's still seeking in along with the rain.
0: A lot has happened since Ricky was released. He met someone, fell in love, and will welcome a baby girl to the world in December. He went viral on TikTok. Let's go. Brand new lemon with a video of him dancing to the song Rockstar by DaBaby while telling his story. This video has been viewed five and a half million times and he has over 100,000 followers. He started his own public speaking business focused on criminal justice reform. It's called I Am Resilience.
1: Ricky Kidd here with I Am Resilience. Wanted to drop in on you today to share with you some quick facts about wrongful conviction.
0: And he celebrated his first full year of freedom with a road trip to 12 states to raise awareness about wrongful convictions. And he live streamed the whole thing.
1: We're live. Good morning, everybody. Freedom Lap 2020 is
0: here. All of this happened as COVID-19 swept across the country and changed so much of the way life happens, what we can and can't do. So with so much going on in this special episode, I wanted to check in with Ricky to see how he's adjusting. It's part of our Searching for Justice series about how formerly incarcerated people are trying to put their lives back together after prison.
1: So I'm a minute into recording, I guess it I must have inadvertently push the button, but we're fine. Can you
0: hear I spoke to Ricky just after he'd celebrated his first year of freedom. So, Ricky, uh, it's just over one year since you were released after 23 years behind bars.
1: What have you been up to? Everything, Frank. Everything that I said I would. (laughs) I've been up to everything. (laughs) I have been uh, to a total of 22 states. Um, I've done Freedom Lap 2020. I've been up to a lot, uh, using my voice to make a difference. Um, uh, using my life to make a difference in others and using my voice for those who are voiceless. I have a baby on the way. Um, I'm about to be married. I have my own business now. I am resilience. Um, I've spoken to thousands of students in person, and virtual. Um, I've done a lot and there's a lot, lot more to come. So um, I have not allowed grass to grow under my feet. And I think it's, I'm setting the example for what exonerees can do. I think people need to see that they can do it. So often, Frank, I just want to say this without belaboring the question, uh, so often we've been told that we can't do it, or that we shouldn't do it, or that we should play it safer, uh, and and it makes it that more difficult for an exoneree who's already suffering from different social and skill sets. So when they see that a person like myself can do it, um, they too will believe that they can. And then society say, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't put so many limits on them. Maybe they can do it. Ricky showed us that it's possible. So maybe they won't echo those sentiments or those thoughts when they come home and in instead be an inspiration for them to go on. So that's what I've been up to, my man.
0: And is, I mean, you spent so many years in prison uh, imagining what what your life might look like when, when you were free. Is this what you imagined?
1: <laughs> yes, it is what I imagined. It is. I tell people, I have to be honest, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not stumbling into one thing or the next or he's, oh, he just got lucky. No, I visualized it all. This is what I spent many years thinking about. For the first 10 years of that 23, I was thinking, I have to prove my innocence and make my way out of here. Um, And once I got about 15 years in, I start thinking about, you know what, when this, when, when this becomes a success, when this becomes a reality, what do I want it to look like? For example, I knew that I wanted to... Uh, be a justice advocate. So I start studying the issues. I knew that I wanted to be able to start my own not-for-profit organization. So I began looking into that. I knew that I wanted to consult with uh, lawyers, law firms, different individuals who's doing this type of work. So I start studying how to consult. But much of what you see me doing is uh, a pretty much of what I have envisioned for a very long time.
0: I mean, that touches on something I was going to ask. I mean, when you were in prison, how much of that kind of opportunity for development was was available to you? How much was there that you could take advantage of that you felt like helped prepare you to come out?
1: Some of it was there in the prison setting, some of it. For example, they will offer you programs, watered-down programs, but they was programs nonetheless. What I did was I took the programs, I began leading the programs— Once I showed them that I could lead their programs, they started letting me create my own programs, but those opportunities allowed me to find my voice, speaking in front of 25, 30 individuals in a classroom, maybe two or three times a day. I ran a class in the morning, I ran a couple classes in the evening, and so every program that prison did have for me, I took advantage of. Every inmate council, every committee where we sat down with the wardens and the the uh, chief of custody, and talk about the prison issues. Those helped me find my voice. It made me comfortable sitting at the tables with decision makers. And it allowed me to feel like I could be a decision maker myself. So I think they all played a key role in uh, preparing me for today.
0: When we first met, I think it was a day or two after, um, I think it was the next day after you'd gotten out. It was. And you talked about how I asked you what was, what felt strange to you, what was new to you, what did the world look like?
1: I see trees. I see a bath that I had this morning that I haven't taken in 23 years.
0: You talked about uh, brushing
1: your teeth. It even had a button on it that could... And <laughs> it was electric. I brushed my teeth this morning the longest. I didn't want to stop brushing.
0: <laughs> What what still feels strange to you a year from now? What do you still think or do you or does it feel normal like at this point? Do you do you do you feel like you've kind of ad- adapted back to the way the way things were?
1: No. It's all still surreal one year later. It is very surreal. Nothing feels like I'm jaded, so to speak, to it, or I'm 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 just simply used to it. When I take a bath, it still feels that way. I still walk barefooted in grass and in in a free world. I still go fighting a tree. I still do these things and I feel it all over again. It still feels new to me. I'm reminding myself I'm not in prison no more. Um, Sometimes in my mind, it feels like I'm talking to authority and I'm not free, that I'm still under somebody's thumb. You think you're still submerged in the world of they tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, how to say it. You better not say that. Those type of things are still fresh to me. And so I'm constantly reminding myself that I'm free, (laughs) that I'm freed now and I don't have to worry about it.
0: So Ricky, you know, Sean O'Brien, your longtime lawyer who ultimately succeeded in getting you freed, he's represented so many other people who were wrongfully convicted and last year i visited him the day after you got out and he said something that really stuck with me what happened yesterday was joyous but i've been through this with so many clients and i know what's coming in a week or two and it's going to be hard Sorry, what's coming in a week or two? When the adrenaline rush and the excitement falls down, and the loss of twenty-three years becomes so obvious to Ricky and his family, um, he'll go through a lot of uh, emotional problems, and so we're you know we we're, we're going to work on it. So you can hear, you can really hear the pain in Sean's voice and, and, and the emotion. And, and I just wonder kind of, kind of broadly how that, that comment strikes you now a a year later.
1: It, it showed up. It wasn't two weeks later, um, but it, it finally showed up and, uh, Again, I just remember you and I talking, even when I came home, I was still suggesting that it it was unlikely that it would show up, but that it was possible because people, experts said it was, but I just did not see it. And by me not seeing it, it really hit me. Um, Hit me like a car running a light. And my first one was survivor's guilt. Just thinking about and even what Sean saying is not as much as the 23 years that I've done, but the many years that people are still doing other innocent people. I don't know if I should be celebrating at times or if I should be working my butt off trying to raise awareness to bring them home. I, I don't know how it feels. A couple of times I was in celebratory moments and people would read it and they're asking me what's wrong and again, early on, I was still stuffing and I, I didn't want to really share that I'm having survivor's guilt because I'm here. I'm enjoying life, but other people are not. Um, I still haven't gone fully into myself yet, but what did hit me and what continues to hit me and drive me today is that other innocent men and women continue to languish in prison. And, um, Sometimes I don't understand tone and context, so I can get irritated or even an attitude. To be honest, if a person says something to me um, in prison, you can't disrespect me or you can't disrespect each other. So certain things you don't say in a free world, those root, Those people say stuff all the time and it doesn't have the same meaning. So I've caught myself many a times with my family, um, raising my voice a little bit having a slight attitude that they are disrespecting me or talking to me crazy and they're not Um, even my daughter Infinity I remember we was somewhere and she said something at her dinner and uh, I mean I totally took it the wrong way like she was fronting on me and that's my baby she definitely wasn't doing that there happened to be another guy exoneree there he had pulled me up and said listen man you do know what you just did. He said, that's what we do. He said, but that's your baby girl. No way was she. Uh, she was looking shocked and surprised. And, um, long story short, those issues, those uh, e- emotional scars have definitely began to show up.
0: And for your kids in these situations, like how do they understand these moments? Do they understand what you're going through? I mean, can they understand it?
1: They definitely understand it the problem is in my availability if I'm being honest they think the world needs a crusader but often it's at the cost of their dad not being there who was already not there for 23 years if um if I'm being again honest and transparent about that that part they do not like and that part I've struggled with there's been such a disconnect. I'm so used to not being around them. I'm so used to years and holidays and things going by that I struggle in making it. Not that we don't spend time together. We do. But it's easy for me to just stay focused on the work. Um, It's not easy. I'm being honest because these are problems that exonerees and other individuals face. It's not easy for me to connect with these moments that they see as special and I see it's, it's just another day because that's what it was for me for so long. So sometimes I have to work harder at making myself available um, for them as well. But that's the that's the issue.
0: You know, you, you came out of prison after being exonerated. People are coming out of prison every day who, who are, are guilty of something or guilty of maybe not, maybe they did it longer than they should have done or maybe it took longer for them to get out than it should have but but have done something are, are are the issues for you different than the issues for people coming out of prison who 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 committed a crime
1: well some of them are similar the attitudes the uh, misreading the tones all of that is a part of living where the rules were different environment of nothing but males you're dealing with testosterone 23 years in a row, you do not deal with females. A couple female guards here and there, you do not deal with them, no. And your family is very limited. But being around them consistently, um, that is a problem, period. Whether you're innocent or whether you're guilty, anybody who's incarcerated is likely going to have some type of mental health uh, issue. Reuben Hurricane Carter, a prize fighter back in the days, wrongfully convicted for many years, he said none of us will leave Unaffected, no matter how well you think you're doing. When I started having my issues, that sentence, that phrase came back to me. And now I'm I'm a believer that none of us will leave unaffected and it's gonna show up early or in two weeks, like Sean said, or it's gonna show up later, but it will show up.
0: One of the things I wanted to ask you about was, was compensation. When I talk to people about your story, one of the most surprising things to them is that you weren't given any money for all the years you spent wrongfully in prison. Even though you were exonerated because the prosecutor withheld exculpatory evidence, uh, an eyewitness recanted, um, among other things. Talk about compensation and, and how you feel about that and what you're trying to do to address that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, if it is not a DNA exoneration in the state of Missouri, you are not entitled to compensation. That does bother me, not anger or bitter, but it does bother me because I was, the judge cleared me by clear and convincing evidence. It, w- it was not a close call. And the state said, so what? We're not giving you one dime. And um, it gave me an uphill battle. Um, although friends, family, and loved ones was there to where I didn't scrape my face, um, I still felt it. We talk about all these amazing things, the baby on the way, starting my business. I had to, I had no choice. But to be able to do that and then have people say, hey, Ricky, I'm going to book you to come consult, to come speak. Or "Hey, I am going to buy your book. And I started selling T-shirts. I'm resilient. Hey, I'm going to do that. If that was not in play, I would be in serious trouble. You have a
0: civil case against the state as well. What's the status of that?
1: I do have a civil case against the state of Missouri. COVID kind of slowed that down, but it is still pending and we still very much plan to hold the state accountable. It's difficult, it's difficult. My prosecutor got caught with her hand in the cookie jar so much as admitted it, uh, but prosecutors have immunity here in this country. Um, And so it is difficult to hold her accountable or the state on her behalf accountable unless there's certain things that can be discovered. We believe those things can be discovered. Uh, And then the same with the police department, we have to be able to show, which we believe we can, that they uh, should have known that they were sending the wrong person to prison. Um, and it's not about the money. I want to be very, very clear. We all love money. The world do. We all need money. But in this case, in many cases, it is about accountability. It is about holding them accountable and, and doing it over and over again till they don't want to do it no more. Um, that's going to be important here. You brought
0: up COVID-19, and, and, and I can't not ask you, you know, after spending 23 years waiting for your freedom to come out, um, in August of, of 2019 and, and six months later, thereabouts the, the, the whole country and the whole world to go into a pandemic. And in and this country, we're still in it months and months later with businesses shut down and social distancing and so many barriers. Uh, how was, what's that been like for you to go from, from, from that? Wanting that freedom to, in many ways, your own freedom and and your ability to to run your business, to do motivational speaking, to to reach out to people, um, to be so impacted by that.
1: If I'm being honest, I did not feel COVID like other people did. Um, I felt what they felt, though. Every day that I watched the news, when I seen the deaths, when I seen the layoffs, when I seen that people were uh, screeching and screaming and hurting and then... um, that was the hardest part for me sheltered in place mm, i've already been doing that for over two decades so i knew how to do that that was not a big deal um people in prison who is under COVID 19 even now it's much much different at least i wasn't in a bathroom i I'm, i'm 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 in my apartment nice apartment um i'm able to go grocery shopping stock up um I'm able to shelter in place with the love of my life. Um, those type of things wasn't as bad for me as it was for others.
0: COVID has is, is hit prisons pretty hard in a lot of places. Um, are, you, are you in touch with friends in prison? How are they doing? How is COVID affecting them?
1: They're not good. They're not good at all. Guys are calling me on a regular, um, telling me that uh, they're scared and nervous. A guy, Dorsey Willick, is wrongfully convicted, totally believe he's wrongfully convicted. He has res- upper respiratory issues already, and so he's very nervous about going outside and going around people. Um, Rudolph Sutton out of Pennsylvania, he uh, was uh, represented by the Pennsylvania Innocence Project. He was on his way out the door, many believed. He had a strong, solid appeal in the courts. He was just waiting uh, on the process. He contracted COVID-19 and he died. Um, many, many prisoners are dying, um, and there's nothing that anybody seemed to be doing about it. The humans that don't deserve this type of death sentence, they was not sentenced to uh, die by way of COVID-19. They may have been sentenced to 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and God forbid, if they're innocent, then they're going to die or run the risk of dying of COVID-19 before they even come home.
0: You just finished up this tour What's kind of at the top of your mind right now when it comes to, to reform and, and, and is it things directly related to COVID-19? Is it longer term issues? Like, what are you really pushing for right now in the criminal justice space?
1: My personal space is wrongful convictions um, and really trying to educate and inspire people into action the numbers are alarming. Over 115,000 people are believed to be wrongfully convicted in the United States. That's a lot of people. Only 2,600 over the last 31 has been exonerated according to the National Registry. But five out of every 100 uh, convictions, it's believed to be a wrongful conviction. And the National Registry puts these uh, stats and facts out uh, in real time. So that's why I really love referencing them um, we're in a crisis because we would never get that number under control and it creates the it, it contributes to mass incarceration a bigger issue uh, that we all have been looking at
0: you know criminal justice and and race and policing are are at the top of so many people's minds right now um after the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others and and most recently the shooting of Jacob Blake yes as someone who's lived through this system who's who's experience in many ways one of the worst outcomes of this system. What are you thinking about in the context of of what this country is going through right now?
1: I think it is going through a metamorphosis um, stage. I think history will show that sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. George Floyd case was a prime example, as ugly as it was and as painful as it was to all of us, especially his family. Um, It created a fire across the country. Uh, Police departments are already being defunded uh, in certain states, Um, and and a lot of progressive conversations are beginning to take place in other states. And so we have to go through it sometimes to be able to get to what it is that we're trying to see uh, in this country. I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist, and I, I do not apologize. Uh, although many would disagree with me. But you're talking to a person who went through 23 years wrongfully convicted, um, 11 no's before one yes. Less than 1% are ever successful on appeal. People told me, Ricky, give it up. You lost 11 times. You're not going to win. But I won. I just believe that we have the opportunity. I believe this country is still a great country. Uh, We just have faults and flaws. Uh, And so I think we're going to end up going in the direction that we need to.
0: Are you going to vote in this year's election?
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm already registered. Yes, I've, I've been on top of all those things when I first came home. That's something I'm very, very excited about. I've been encouraging people to vote. Um, I've been engaging the political process. Um, I did an ACLU panel, uh, co-host the ACLU panel here in Missouri with um, Gene Peters Baker, the prosecutor's office, who uh, was she did not prosecute me, but that office itself was responsible for my wrongful conviction. But I sit down with these individuals, and we open up, and we have discussions, and we engage uh, the topics to expose them, so people can be educated when they vote. Those are things that I'm extremely committed to as well. So I'm definitely voting.
0: You're such a hopeful person, and and you've you've earned the right to be, um, as you said. Uh, so. I wonder where do you think you're going to be at this time next year, and and where do you think the country is going to be?
1: <laughs> I'm going to be um, that. There's so much, uh, and and I'm not. I'm I'm only hesitating because I don't even know where to start. I have so many lofty goals uh, for 2021. Freedom Lab 2021 for sure. Um, I think we were going to have a much more robust uh, Freedom Lap 2021 when COVID is gone. I believe people will see my uh, next book, Twisted Fate, uh, which is about the case. I think that will be out uh, in the spring of 2021. I see myself running my own not-for-profit, Derail Justice. That's about to get started here shortly. Changing the wrong, making it right, putting justice back on the right track. Um, I see myself... Um, being a strong voice, a strong voice across the country, 22 states total since I've been home. Uh, Many people know me, but a ton of people do not. I need them to, because I think my experience uh, and what is becoming my expertise uh, is important. I also think for next year, for 2021, that we have a unique opportunity to look back on what COVID-19 did to all of us And then decide what we turn it into. Like, what do you, how do you turn your negative into a positive? So I'm talking, not just COVID, but the violence, the police shootings, all the different things that has plagued this country seemingly at the same time. Uh, I hope 2021 will be a year where we see major reform.
0: And you've got a a baby on the way.
1: I do. I absolutely do. So, uh, yes, uh, Harmony Justice. Harmony Justice is due in this world December 13th. Um, we named her Harmony Justice because that's what we hope she will represent and stand for. Uh, so she already has a uh, a, a task at, at, at hand. She already has a, or Of course she can grow and to become whatever she decides. But we're going to give her uh, all the options. So I'm very excited about being a, a father all over again. And to be there this time, I never was able to be there in the past. For my kids, 23 years, wrongfully convicted, they took much of that away from me. But um, I get to be there with Harmony Justice when she come into this world in a few months. And uh, I'll be married here shortly as well, too. Um, so probably sometime uh, early October. So not just a baby, but I'll be a married man. And Ricky, how will you
0: explain to Harmony Justice what, what happened to you?
1: I would tell her that humans make up this world, obviously, and that we all play a role in how this world moves. And when it comes to our criminal justice system, those humans are good and bad, perfect and imperfect. And that she is going to see... A combination of both and then just teach her what to do when she see the good and the perfect to acknowledge it to condone it to compliment it um and then when she see the imperfect and the bad to reject it to stand against it and to make sure that she is not a part of it and then from that i believe if she is able to understand that It will better explain when I tell her how I was wrongfully convicted for 23 years. I think that's the foundation that kids, all kids should understand. And uh, I'm going to continue to do this work and um, be a great father, be a great role model, and um, be a great example for the world to see that you don't have to go through a 23-year wrongful conviction to decide to do good that we all get to decide that when we just simply make it up in our minds
0: well thanks so much ricky for talking to us and i hope we can keep checking back in with you and 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 seeing your progress
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you frank
0: Justice is reported by me, Frank Carlson, hosted by Amna Nawaz, and produced by Vika Aronson. It was edited by Erica R. Hendry and Emily Carpo. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our thanks to Travis Dobb, Vanessa Dennis, James Williams, and Mara Shannon. Our executive producer is Sarah Just. You can follow all of our coverage on air and on our website, PBS.org/NewsHour. Thanks for listening. Ricky, just kind of a side question. What is the key to making a good TikTok video?
1: <laughs> That's pretty good. Let me see. Organic, let's say. Be organic. Be uh, be funny. Uh, dance. Um, I dare to say go to prison for 23 years and, and, and have a comeback story. Do not do that. <laughs> um, but really <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough way for some social media don't exposure. do it don't do it there's a lot of other